Hello everyone, you're listening to Game Rivals, a podcast where a Nintendo fan and a PlayStation fan talk about the latest games and happenings in the gaming community and industry. I'm one of your hosts, Maximilian X, and together with Sean Templar, we bring you this bi-weekly podcast about video games. And welcome back to another episode of The Gaming Rivals. I am one of your hosts, Maximilian here, X here, and together with my buddy, Sean Templer. How are you doing, Sean Templer? How have you been? Hey, Max. I'm great. How are you? Um, I'm good. I'm really good, actually. It's been, uh, it's been a fun couple of weeks. Yeah, I know. Yeah. I mean, we've had a lot of uh, news that came out. Um, there's so much that we could be talking about. We're just going to hit up up a few uh, of the things that we thought was the, the most interesting anyways um so yeah do you want to start us off with the first story sure uh some of you might know that star wars celebration was this past weekend and star wars celebration is always an event that disney does and it's a weekend focused around star wars uh duh um, and they showed the first trailer for uh, the new Star Wars movie, which is coming out later this year in December. It's called Star Wars The Rise of Skywalker. It was a pretty cool teaser. Some stuff in there that a lot of people didn't expect, I think. Yeah. And well, they- wait, uh, before you continue, did you watch the trailer? Yes. Okay. I didn't watch the trailer. I'm uh, also not planning to watch the trailer, so this don't again. describe it. Yeah, because I, I like surprises. I don't want to watch the trailer i don't want to know what's gonna happen i i know somebody besides you that does the same thing when we go to the movies and he for example when it's a marvel movie whatever he puts his fingers in his ears like la, 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 la. Uh, we almost had him the other time because he didn't know it was an avengers trailer and it's only because we said it was an avengers trailer he was like oh no ah. <laughs> yeah. yeah if he's I listening to, to this podcast he, kn- he knows who he is <laughs> yeah i used to do that too yeah but then i got beat six and i put them in so you know yeah okay okay <laughs> um yeah so another cool thing that happened was that uh respawn entertainment which we know from the titanfall games and apex legends which is super mm. popular of course uh they've been working on a star wars game for a couple of years now um yeah they've always been super secretive about it but they finally showed a it's not a gameplay trailer it's an in-engine tra- story trailer so it sets up the, the, the premise of the game. Um, the game is called Star Wars Jedi Fallen Order. So maybe because it's called Star Wars Star Wars Jedi, it might be a franchise in which we might have other characters as well in the future. Um, mm. For now, you play as a, per, a character which is called Cal. He is a uh, Padawan who survived Order 66, for the people that don't know. Order 66 is... The order the Emperor gives at the end of uh, Revenge of the Sith to have all the Jedi uh, killed, basically. And uh, you survive that as a Padawan and you're trying to lay low and stay out of sight and just try to live your life. Um, And due to certain events that happen, you get chased by Inquisitors, which are kind of like Jedi hunters throughout the galaxy. Um, They haven't really said much about the game it's coming out this year on the november 15th for uh i believe xbox one playstation 4 and pc um in a surprising move ea said we will not do microtransactions and there will not be a season pass it's all just 
a single player experience. They're not going to do multiplayer. So, um, yeah, it's kind of not what we expected. And the game is also running on Unreal Engine 4 instead of on the Frostbite engine. So these are some, some remarkable choices from EA. Yeah, so... Um, okay, so there's a few things uh, here. One... Here we go. The, the, tra- the trailer looks awesome. The, let's get that out of the way. The, the trailer looks awesome. Um, I can understand people that are, you know, that have been hurt before by by EA and... Honestly, I don't blame them like one bit. But I will say this. They put so much emphasis on letting people know that it's a single player game, that it has no microtransactions, and it's a complete experience. I am so curious to see how they screw this up, but from what I've seen so far, from what they've said, I'm willing to give them a shot. Like Fairly, I'm willing to give them a shot. The premise is actually interesting. I am kind of curious when this exactly takes place, like how many years after Order 66. It might be a couple of months, could be a couple of years. I'm kind of curious how this all falls into, you know, going into nerd category, like how it falls into the Star Wars canon of all things, and if it is indeed canon or not. But yeah, from what I saw, it looks pretty cool. Yeah, the the game director is Stig Asmussen. For some that know him, he directed God of War 3. So he does know how to handle a big franchise. Okay. Yeah, and they said during the panel that they've worked closely with LucasArts. Uh, They've incorporated both known planets and unknown planets into this game. Um, Whatever that means. Yeah, so like... I think this might be the first step of EA trying to go into a different direction and to kind of show that they maybe listen to the criticism. And that's also kind of my bridge to go towards the next segment, unless you still, or next topic in this new segment, unless you want to say something more about Star Wars. Mm, no, because I mean, we only have the trailer and what they told us. So, I mean, there's not a lot to talk about um, and there's not a lot to. We'll probably there's... see more at EA Play, which is in June. So. It's not going to take long before we see something about the game. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, I'm I'm assuming that that... Actually, I was assuming that we wouldn't see anything about The Fallen Order before uh, uh, before E3. But considering that they did this now, I'm assuming they are gearing towards showing gameplay at the the EA Play event. um, Which is now now more of a, what, a Nintendo Direct style kind of thing that they're going to do. The previous not, years were still could, kind of a press conference with actual people and people and fans could buy tickets and attendee uh, events. And then it was kind of like a interactive press conference. Um, we don't know what's going to happen this year. I mean, we know they're not going to do a press conference this year. I mean, it's still open to the public and you can buy tickets and you can go and play the games, but they're not going to have... They said at the very least that they're not going to have a press conference. So I'm assuming they're going to do a pre-recorded thing which would actually be way better um so who knows but, oh yeah, yeah we'll just I mean, have to wait and see yeah looking forward to that yeah but as you were saying yeah so um last week or the week before that a new article surfaced uh on kotaku uh, about anthem and the development behind anthem 
Um, apparently, the some editors that work at at uh, Kotaku have well-known sources and trusted sources. Jason Schreier, yeah, that yeah. is a legend. Yeah, he he, he has he has industry ties that would make you. Jealous. You know what I don't like? I I think it's super cool that he has that. But what I can't stand is the constant promotion of his book. It's like I I never visit Kotaku because I hate the layout. But every every time when I'm still there, because I go to, for example, N4G, and then it links me to Kotaku, I see the guy's self-promotion of his book, and I'm like, oh, man, okay, we know you wrote the damn book, man. Stop shoving it in my face, you know? Well, anyways, <laughs> uh, he wrote an article about Anthem, and it's kind of what we talked off uh, when we weren't recording earlier, that it's in a way the same as Mass Effect Andromeda. The game is not what it's supposed to be. It happened because of lack of guidance, lack of vision, uh, lack of leadership slash mismanagement, um, EA forcing Frostbite down their throats because EA... Now, EA forcing Frostbite down all their developers' throats. That's what I was about to say. EA wants Frostbite, or EA says Frostbite is the internal engine for all of EA studios. And the way Frostbite works is it's developed in, by DICE in Sweden, and they have uh, EA has an internal uh, Frostbite team that developers within the EA family can uh, reach out to, to have them help or give yeah, advice or whatever, support. Yeah. Um, apparently, Anthem was in such a bad state during development that EA had kind of like a, a something like a strike force, I believe they called it, which were developers yeah. from DICE that flew into Bioware and sat in the studio and helped people solve the technical issues. Um, and so what's mainly the issue here is that Bioware kind of, or at least Anthem kind of suffered the same things at Mass Effect Andromeda. And they improved on a few things on the Mass Effect Andromeda, such as the facial capture, which is now performance captured. So the facial animations and the speech and all that stuff is cool. But if you really read the article, it says like, yeah, they didn't know if they wanted to do the flight mechanics, so they took it out and they put it back in and they took it out and put it back in. So that's, for example, a mechanic that now feels really, really well. If, for example, Bioware was to make a Bi an Iron Man game, I think the flight mechanic, if they just take that out of Anthem and put it into a game like that, they've nailed it there from the start. But yeah. it's that was, for example, a mechanic that constantly changed. And what they kind of did is they built the game in the last 18 months before it shipped, something like that. And before that, the game was constantly in pre-production, constantly changing direction and vision. And they were constantly trying stuff that didn't work. And it's such a shame because they started working on the game in 2012. And that's seven years ago. And it's kind of a shame to see that it's had this really, really hard start and that now they're trying to catch up. And honestly, I don't know if people are going to come back to Anthem. If Anthem, if the team, I know that the team is hard at work trying to fix it. I just don't know if it's too late for them to fix it. And if Destiny could pull it off and Destiny 2 could pull it off, I honestly don't see why Anthem would not be able to pull it off as long as they put in cool content. I hope so. Yeah, yeah, the funny thing is now that you see that that uh, um Titan of uh, Respawn Entertainment uses Unreal Engine 4, of course this is probably a decision they made years ago. Um, yeah. it's cool to see I mean, that it's, they it's, didn't it's get it's not something they did like a year ago yeah so it's cool to see that at least they can take a different direction and I hope EA learns from uh, that frostbite issue that they're having and trying to jam it up everybody's throat um, 
Yeah, I also... Wait, is Respawn owned by EA? No, I believe they work together with EA. Okay, so then that's probably the reason why it's not using props. But let me just double check that, because I remember that when they initially started, it was just a kind of like a second party deal, and maybe they bought them in the meanwhile. Yeah, it was acquired in 2017. Yeah, that's what I thought. So now it, it is an EA studio, but only since the okay. last two years. Ah, okay. Yeah. Yeah, so assuming, okay, so since they bought them two years ago, let's assume that for the, they've, they started working on that game, at least in pre-production-wise, two years ago. Yeah. So they acquired them, they laid down what they're going to do, and that was that. I'm also assuming that considering that um, uh, Jason Wentz and Vince Sampella used to be EA developers before they formed um, Infinity Ward, Infinity Ward. Um, they probably know how to work the work, the leadership there a bit better, and put some, you know, put some restrictions on there on them, saying like. Yeah, it's great and all that you have this Frostbite engine, but it's not made to make the games that we make, so we're just gonna use Unreal if that's okay with you guys. Because if we're not gonna allow us to use that, like, no dice, you know? Like, we're not gonna do what, what it is you want us to do, or whatever it is you want us to do, it's not gonna be that great because we're using an engine that was not made for this thing. Um, I think it partially has to do also with that um, a lot of, he, he doesn't work there anymore, but at the time there was a senior vice president or an executive vice president of Worldwide Studios at EA. He was called uh, Patrick Sutherland. He came yeah, from yeah, DICE yeah. and yeah. he was kind of the guy, he, he's kind of like the Shuhei Yoshida and the Sean Layden of Sony. You know, they oversee Worldwide Studios at Sony and this guy mm -hmm. did it at EA and he was kind of like the, the main person that all the studios talked to. And um, I think that partially he has some influence on the process as well. And he might have to enforce the part like, hey, you have to use Frostbite. Um, he doesn't work there anymore. He left last year to form his own studio. Oh, okay. yeah. He started a studio called Embark Studios and they released a tech demo a short while ago which really looks amazing. It's like some simple stuff about vegetation and terrain forming and stuff like that. But it looked a bit photorealistic, like the the Unreal Engine demo we saw at GDC last month. Um, so yeah, maybe because he left that EA, and EA is getting a lot of uh, stuff over themselves, heat over them, they might have a different approach. And you, know, you never know what could happen. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. yeah. I mean, uh, as... Uh, like as we go back to this, the whole thing with Anthem, and just so, okay. So here's the thing, the whole thing with Anthem is bad, like terrible, like it shouldn't happen. But the but the main thing here is that people probably don't understand is that this is not just a Bioware thing. No, this is like a whole industry wide problem that just exists. You know, the crunch, the the push from the top, um, all that. It's just, it's just the culture, and it's not a good thing. And it, uh, this is something that is very specific to Western developers. I mean, you don't hear about like Japanese developers or <clears throat> uh, uh, having these kind of like crunches because, well, they work the hours that they work. 
you might hear here here and there sometimes that they have crunch, but it's not always the same. It's not always the case that they have to crunch to make a game. A game is finished when it's finished in Japan. At least when you're at least when you're talking about, you know, the the, the bigger studios like your platinum games. Platinum games. Yeah, uh, I think that Atlas. It's different because, for example, let's take Sony and Microsoft. I think there's rarely been a situation or a story in which some people said, hey, um, Sony made us crunch or Microsoft made us crunch or it was development hell or we really didn't know what to do or our game was plagued by lack of vision or lack of uh, guidance. Um, if, if you look closely, for example, the, the BAFTA for the games was last week. So the British Film Game Awards was last week. Yeah. And God of War won Game of the Year, duh, mm -hmm. of course. Um, and what and you notice it with everything. All those Sony games that win an award or win a big award, no matter which game that is, they always say, always in acceptance speech, they say, we want to thank Sean Layden, we want to thank Shuhei Yoshida, and we want to thank Scott Rohde. And those are kind of like the three primary guys within Sony that are responsible for worldwide studios and the development and overseeing all that stuff. And from based on what we can see, those guys give a lot of freedom, but they also offer guidance where necessary. And it's the same thing with Microsoft. I mean, a lot of people thank Phil Spencer, for example, because he offers the guidance they need or he offers the direction they need, but he also gives them freedom. So it's a lot depending on what kind of company it is or how the company looks at it. I mean, let's be honest, when it's about EA, EA is all about making money. And yeah. EA isn't really good at coming up with original IPs. They rarely come up with original IPs. Same goes well, for they, they used to. Yeah, but not like you know, back 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 in the days when EA actually meant electronic artists. Yeah, so for example, this gen, they've rarely done something new. The same goes for Activision. They're rarely doing something new. I oh, mean, they keep oh. on milking their same cow. Act, Act, Activision doesn't do anything new at all. Yeah, they keep on Just milking their same same cow. You know, so. These, these companies are in for the money. They just want to make as much money as they can. I mean, Activision fired, what, 800 people during their last earning quarter? And they oh, said, yeah. we made a record amount of money, but we're still going to kick 800 people out. Yeah. E EA fired their whole Japanese division. A lot of people in Asia lost their yeah, jobs. I don't get that. What was up with that? Like, that that move made even less sense But the funny thing is, anything. the CEO, Andrew Wilson, got a bonus despite the layoffs because yeah we're downscaling because well, you know of course he got the bonus where do you why do you think they laid people off yeah so I'm not, okay not, I'm not, allegedly allegedly i'm not saying that that's the reason why but allegedly but come on yeah so we don't know 100 but allegedly he got a bonus so yeah that that paints a picture about like okay they're in all about the it's all about the money for these guys and that's cool. I mean, that's hard, hard business. And I understand that. But when you look at other developers or other companies, what a lot of developers are doing is people start going away from studios and start building their own. A lot of indie developers coming up. I can't remember during the PS2 era that there were a lot of indie developers. It really started out no. in the, at the end of PS3, start of PS4. We have an abundance of indie developers and all are super talented people who work at big studios for years. Well, to be fair... It's not that we have an abundance of indie developers. It's just that the landscape has changed so much that they they are able to make themselves known. Because indie developers have always been there. The only platform that they've had was the PC. 
Steam. It wasn't until um, it wasn't until the Xbox Xbox Live Arcade and uh, the the PSN and to a lesser extent WiiWare allowed them to actually exist on consoles. And now, like who are who are the cheerleaders of the indies? The big three. Yeah. Like Microsoft cheerleads the, the cheerleads indies with uh, at um, ID at Xbox. ID at Xbox. Thank you. Um, uh, Sony has been doing it for a long time on PSN. They have like a specific name for their indie. Uh, not that I know of, but they had this slogan: "PlayStation loves indies." They even made T-shirts. They had a they had a so guy. They I, he was called Adam Boyles, I believe, and he was yeah. kind of the third-party relations manager for Sony. But he was really close with all these indie developers. He even left Sony last year, the year before, to start his own indie development company. Yeah, yeah. I actually met that guy a couple of years ago. Cool guy. Yeah, you told me that. Yeah, that was so cool. Yeah, yeah, it was really cool. Like, quick side tangent here. A couple of years ago. Um, I think it was 2009. I met him at GDC Europe, which sadly does not exist anymore. Rest in peace, GDC Europe. Um, I met him actually there, and I actually pitched him a DSiWare game. Oh, God. <laughs> but he was very nice about it and, you know, gave some encouraging words. And it's like, yeah. I mean, he, he was a chill guy. Gave me his card and everything. So, nice. But, yeah. Um but yeah, so you know, Sony has that, and Nintendo has, of course, their Nindies brand, and they actually showcase it much like um, the idea at Xbox. I think they do like a monthly thing where they highlight um, like that month's indie titles that are coming out or that have been out. So you know, the fact that the big three are showing love for indie developers. Is a twofold thing, at least in my opinion, is a twofold thing. The first thing is that the reason why they're doing this is because you don't have a B tier in games anymore. All the big developers are either working on AAA titles or nothing at all. So, where does the middle ground lay? There's no middle ground anymore with the big three, at least not in the West. And that's all been filled up by the indies. So, yeah, seeing that happen, it's not just in the West that that's been happening. Of course, in Japan, it's been happening as well. I mean, uh, the guy that ushered in the new generation of Castlevania during the PlayStation 1 era, Igarashi-san, he has his own studio now, and they're developing a spiritual successor to the Castlevania series, or at least the Symphony of the Knife style of Castlevania games. That's nice. Which is coming out this year. Um, it's called Blood uh, Bloodstained Ritual of, Ritual of the Night. Um, disclaimer: I am a Kickstarter backer of that game, and I'm looking forward to playing it on my Switch because that's the one, the version that I ordered. Um, but yeah, I mean, you see all this. Ha- you see this happen all the time. So I don't know what is in store for. To bring it all back, I don't know what's in store for Bioware at this point. Um, a lot of people left during the development of uh, Anthem. I don't know where those guys ended up going. Probably to other studios. Maybe some of them are working on trying to start up their own indie studio themselves. We don't know yet. Um, but I'm sure that, I mean, times are changing. Uh, what Casey Hunt- Times are changing. Like times are changing for everybody, and I don't know what 
what the future holds for them. Yeah, what, what, what we did see is that Casey Hudson, the general manager for Bioware, posted uh, an internal memo, and it kind of ended up on the internet, in which he addressed the criticism from the article, and he said, you know, we're, we're currently not the best place we want to be at, but it's something we're going to work towards, and we're definitely going to work on it. And then they had uh, kind of like a, a town hall meeting, uh, or they were going to do a town hall meeting in which the whole studio would participate, and they could just, you know talk about stuff because they've already announced that they're working on Dragon Age. So mm -hmm. I think they don't want to make the same mistake because maybe this could be three strikes and you're out, uh, knowing EA. So I think they definitely want to nail the Dragon Age part. Is Do we know if Dragon Age, the, the next Dragon Age is in pre-production? Well, we know that it got announced last year at the Game Awards. It, they showed up with teaser. Okay, so that means that they're probably in pre-production still. I really hope that they don't have to use the Frostbite engine anymore because that mandate is dumb. Yeah, you know what it is? I mean, for example, and that's that's the thing with Frostbite. Frostbite is, in its foundation, an FPS engine. Yeah. And EA has said, well, it's flexible. We can adopt it for all stuff because the FIFA team is using Frostbite. Yeah, um, but have you seen a FIFA game... Since they started using Frostbite. I don't uh, play FIFA. I pay, play Pro Evolution Soccer. Yeah, I don't play FIFA either. But if you go on... Like, any time a new FIFA comes out, people are like, ooh, what bugs are, going, are we going to see this time? <laughs> I mean, it's like when they're, like back when um, uh, Assassin's Creed came out yearly and they came out buggy as hell. I believe with the... What was the one called that what was set in Paris? Syndicate. No, oh, the one wait. before that. Uh, Paris. There was one in during the French Revolution. Assassin's Creed. Yeah, the one, the first, the fully fledged one, the one that came after Black Flag. Ah, oh, what's the name again? That was Syndicate, bro. Are you sure? It was set in London. Yeah. No, no, no. Syndicate one is France. one. Yeah, they they've the one in France. Then you clearly haven't played that game. No, I have not. It is called. Um, let me just get back to you on right now. Wait, 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 wait. It is called Assassin's Creed Unity. Oh, right. Wait, Unity was set in France? Yeah, it was set there in Paris on the eve of the French Revolution. Wow. But oh, right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I remember now. Wow. When that game came out, that, that it was game did so not leave buggy. An impression on me. <laughs> yeah, it was so buggy that they really had to spend a few months polishing it up in with patches to get it to a working state even i thought i believe i saw a video when the ps4 pro came out mm. it had the boost mode feature it was oh playable in an okay state with the boost mode feature turned on and yeah. it added like a lot of power to it so i'm about on a base ps4 it was really running bad uh, yeah wait so unity became came before Came out before Syndicate. Yeah, because with Syndicate, they kind of... After Syndicate, they had a two-year hiatus, and then... Yeah, exactly. They came out with Origins. Yeah. Yeah, and then they came out... With, wait, did they, they didn't have a year off at, between that and... Until Syndicate, it was yearly release, and then after... And uh, it was so... It was two years after... Or, or, um, bah, two years after Syndicate, we got Origins, and then one year after Origins, we got Odyssey, and now it's on a two-year hiatus again. Good, because they do not need to release that. Yeah, there have been rumors surfacing that the next Assassin's Creed might be set during the Viking era. I honestly don't know. 
heard those rumors too. Yeah. Cool. You know, at one point, Ubisoft, and this is something completely different, at one point, Ubisoft should just have spun off Assassin's Creed or some Assassin's Creed games as a completely new franchise because some of those games have so much stuff in it that it could just be a different franchise without the animus stuff because that's one thing i hate about assassin's creed games the forced animus part where you have to get out of the thing and you have to explore the modern world i don't give a rat's f i just want to play in the historical moment (laughs) yeah Uh, but yeah Yeah. anyways well i mean well to be fair the assassin's creed franchise spun off from the prince of Persia franchise yeah well anyways i know that you're dying to talk about nintendo labo so the stage is yours my friend yeah i mean i'm not gonna talk long about it mostly because i just got it today um today being monday so i'm actually dating this episode but whatever um it came out this past friday but the reason i wasn't able to pick it up that day is because well i had to work and um the following day, I wasn't at my lo- I wasn't at home. I was working again, and I was staying at my parents' place, so I couldn't go to my local store because that is like a couple of towns away in a whole province. Um, but I finally picked it up today, and I gotta say, I'm actually kind of shocked. I mean, why? I, because, well, it works. Didn't you expect it to work since it's a Nintendo no, thing? No, I mean I expect it to work because I've seen I've seen the reviews and I've seen people talk about it. But it's a different it's a different thing when someone says that it works and experiencing that it works. Um I will say that I've only done the the visor, so the basic visor, um, and I've played some of the mini games that are on it, which is really cool. Um I still need to build the blaster. Uh, FYI, I only got the starter set, so I only have so the visor and the blaster. I am uh, probably going to pick up the rest of the, the the sets eventually. I'm personally looking forward to the camera because I seriously Nintendo. Like, if anybody at Nintendo is listening to this, and I seriously doubt that they are, but if they are, by some weird miracle, please give us Pokemon Snap. Everybody's been asking about it. People want it. Just give us Pokemon Snap. That's all I want. We have so much power in this world that Nintendo will probably listen and probably announce it during the next direct. Yeah, I, <laughs> yeah, that that actually would be awesome if that was true. Yeah. But um, going back to the whole Labo thing, um, the fact that you're making this out of cardboard is crazy. I mean, I know Google Cardboard is a thing, and I actually do own a Google Cardboard for my smartphone, but well, my phone doesn't fit in that one, even though I bought it specifically for the size of phone that I have. <laughs> um, and I can't fit I can fit it with my glasses on, which means I have to take my glasses off, which means I can't see the 3D effect without my glasses on, which is something that I can do with the with the Labo VR, which is something that I couldn't even do. With the PlayStation VR, I have to take off my glasses if I'm using the PlayStation VR. The same thing happens when I'm using the HTC Vive, or at least the original HTC Vive. That did not fit on my head. The Oculus Rift, however, did fit with my glasses on. That was fine. 
but this like instantly just i can just grab it right now put it to my face and instantly be playing something which is great and i don't have to worry about the straps i mean it would be nice to actually be able to put it on my face when uh, the update comes out for breath of the wild because i actually want to play that and see how far i can get um and the mario odyssey thing as well but yeah um i'm still gonna put it together the blaster um the blaster has a really long build time i think it's one of the longest ones at i think three hours easy that's an estimate average um what? yeah because the, the 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 visor took me about 45 minutes but to be fair i was also i also had a movie in the background so i was a little bit distracted when i was building it but um that that time was like a half hour to an hour is supposed to take it to build that but after i build it it's really cool um you don't need the joy cons for the motion control because apparently the switch itself has gyro built in oh that's cool which which I didn't. I don't think anybody knew that the switch had gyro built into the system itself. They assumed that the gyro came from the controllers, because I've played um, Splatoon two in handheld mode with the Joy Cons attached to it. So I assumed that that was the thing that was tracking, which it probably is because that's way more accurate. Um, but yeah, this is really cool. I mean, it is a sit down experience, so you can't move around in three D space, but it's good. I mean. I will say this, the image is a little bit blurry if you look in the distance, but that's because the resolution of the screen isn't that high. But for what it for what the switch is and the resolution of the screen, it's not bad. I mean, if you want something, if you want a VR experience that's relatively cheap, the starter set sets you back 40 euros or 40 dollars or 4000 yen. Uh, forty. Sorry, no, not forty. Four, four, three thousand yen. Yeah. And if you want a complete set, it costs eighty bucks. But, well, that's not expensive. Um, should, should I should I mention my little anecdote of the day of the switch the 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 launch of the VR? Because as I said before, I pre-ordered this at my local game store, and I wasn't near my local game store to pick it up, and I thought, well. On my way to work on Friday, I'm going past another game store anyways. So let me just pop in there and see if they already they got it in already and buy a starter set there. Funny thing though, they didn't have them in stock yet because they the truck didn't come in. But the dude checked their system to see if there was any available and they were all pre-ordered. <laughs> and when I got home, I checked their website and like they had no stock. No stock online. No stock in any of their stores. I checked. Uh, I checked uh, one of the big chains here, MediaMarkt, which is an electronic store. They don't have the kit. They only have the expansion sets. Okay. And I'm not sure if it's because they were sold out. It wasn't on their website, so I'm not really sure what's going on there. But as of today, um, I saw on Twitter. Uh, this analyst called Dr. Serkin Toto, good guy. You should uh, follow him on Twitter if you want more insight on, um, you know, the game industry and stuff like that, particularly into stuff like sales and um, investors, investor thingies and stuff like that. 
Amazon US is completely sold out of Labo sets, all of them, the the full set and the starter set, which is which blows my mind. So this can mean either one of two things: either people were really, really, really looking forward to this, even though this thing got announced like six weeks ago, or Nintendo didn't make a lot of them. <laughs> Honestly, I'm thinking it's the latter because they wanted to play it safe, but I think they overdid it again. Because I know how Nintendo works. They'll either be super confident in a product and they'll make too much, like they did with certain Amiibos when that came out, or they'll not have the confidence in it and they'll undersell it and will not make enough. Luckily, it's cardboard, so... If you can find the, the blueprints on it, you can probably make some of it yourself. But yeah, that uh yeah, that's pretty crazy to see. I'm really hoping that seeing that we were getting a Mario Odyssey experience, which is an actual VR experience, um, means that they're looking into doing more of these stuff down the road for, for Labo VR. The Breath of the Wild thing is more like a viewfinder thing. So well, we'll see how that works out. I mean, I'll let you guys know in two weeks' time anyways. But uh, I'm looking forward to both experiences, and I'm hoping that more stuff comes out of it. We'll have to wait and see. Maybe you can give us an updated impression uh, in the next episode. Yeah, totally. I will. Cool. I believe wow. that's, it. that's it, right? Yeah, that's it for the news uh, for this episode. So stick around, guys, and we'll be right back with what we've been playing. Alrighty, welcome back, everybody, to our second segment, What Have You Been Playing? Mm -hmm. So, Maximilian X, what have you been playing? Well, uh, there's not a lot of been playing i mean i'm still playing through uh horizon zero dawn i Ooh. i've actually gotten a bit farther um tell us more well i'm currently at s almost 60 hours in damn yeah um i've been doing a bunch of the side quests uh i did the hunter's lodge one so i yeah so i'm now a what is it called again a hawk Mm -hmm. the hunter's lodge uh i did a bunch of stuff so but uh, suffice to say i've been I, I still have fun playing it but whenever i have time when i come home from work uh or if, a, if i have a day off i'll just plop on the couch and play for like four hours <laughs> so nice fun. nice but, and the only reason why i play for so long is because i die a lot Especially when I'm on missions, which is annoying. Maybe you should put the game on uh, super easy mode. No. <laughs> no. But I mean, it is fun, and I like the challenge. Um, some of the challenge, some of the challenges just make me go like, for example, uh, the Red Maw one. Um, the from 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 that specific mission, I really hate that son of a bitch. Most uh, uh, oh crap! I'll have to. Yeah, it's a good thing I'm keeping timestamps. I'll leave that out. Um, I don't think it's such a big deal that we sometimes say 
bad no-no words. Yeah, but it's not like we're saying something really bad, like the f word or something like. No, that. but let I, at least at least we have to try and keep it clean enough so that you know we don't get spiked. Um, but yeah, the the challenge with the red maw, of course, is because if you've played the game, the red maw is a very specific thunderjaw that's according to their their history has been around for who knows how long and has been walking around for forever um and it is a battle worn red uh thunderjaw so it's missing one of its disc launchers which is, which is already a detriment to you as the player because one as you said before the disc launcher is one of the things that makes taking down the thunderjaws a whole lot easier and when you only have one to rely on and Red Maw is as unpredictable as a Thunderjaw can be. Yeah, then you spend the next hour trying to take this beast down. And when you finally... I will say this. When I finally took him down, I let out a cheer. I was, wow. I let out a cheer because I was just so sick and tired of trying to beat this guy. When I finally beat him, like, yes! Suck it, Ma. Suck it. Wow. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So fine. I was finally able to move on and actually do some other side missions, but I'm already three three quarters of through the through the game. I finally. Well, spoilers for those who haven't played it yet, but you know it's I've been out for two years, so you know that's on you. Um, I've finally reached a point in the story where uh, Aloy finds out about humanity's past and how their world came to be and the dude that's been talking to her through through her focus kind of a kind of a jerk if you ask me I mean <laughs> I mean like it's not he's been helping her but he does so by hacking through her focus which is clearly a breach of privacy when you play the frozen worlds you'll find out more about the guy really okay yeah all right because you uh you uh kind of interact with the clan or the tribe he is or he was originally part, uh, part, part of so you get a bit more backstory into his uh his life was he part That's of the cool. bardic uh, i believe so yeah okay okay yeah because i just i just did a side mission that took me to that route and i met some of the bardic it's the it's the it's the it's the mission with the peaceful machines where you where you have to investigate peaceful the like people and machines living in coexistence and then you find um, out why they were living in coexistence and how some other people i'm gonna be wow nice one yeah yeah i i, nice. I, got, I got the timestamp. I it's been to, to be honest it's been two years since I played the game, and I don't remember all the missions. That's because you're playing it right now. Mm. Um, you know it because it's all fresh. But it's yeah. been two years since I originally played it, so I only know about the Frozen Wild stuff because I played that a couple of months ago. Yeah. So sometimes when you mention a mission, I'm like, okay, <laughs> I kind of don't remember this, or I don't, you know. Yeah. But because it's been a while. I mean, for example, the Red Maw, I took him on after I finished the single player. Meaning I was really? level fifty. Yeah, I was level fifty. So I didn't ah. have any issues with him at all. I would kind of like beat him like a normal thunderjaw, like ah, oh, pop, 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 done. Okay, I win. Okay. 
Yeah, so that why, that's why I was surprised when you said, yeah, it took me over an hour, blah, blah. He was really a mofo. Blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, oh, yeah, it mean, didn't take so long. I mean, yeah, be, well, okay, fine. If you did all the, the side quests after you beat the mainline story, that's that makes more sense because I'm, yep. yeah, because I'm still going through that part. But see, that's what I mentioned last time. It's so cool to see that this game has a different experience for everyone. Like, you do stuff in your own way. I do stuff in my own way. We have completely different experiences with the game. And that's one of the things I love about this game. Yeah, but that not that a, isn't that indicative of all open-world games? Mm, not necessarily. Some open-world games are always... In the, it, with some games, I don't have this as with... I don't with some open world games it's not the same as with this one. But that's personal. Yeah. Sure. So yeah, that's my status update at least for that game. Um the other thing that I've been playing actually recently is a uh game that I was able to dig up uh that I thought I lost. It's called Retro Game Challenge uh for the DS, which is a game based a game not based off, but it's inspired by a show of the same name called Retro the Game Challenge, or if you go by the original Japanese title, Game Center CX, which is hosted by this uh, guy uh, called Arino-san. Of, yeah, Arino-san. And he played... <laughs> Arino-san of Arino-san. <laughs> no, no, no. His name is Arino. His last name is Arino. And he plays retro games for a living. So he plays old Famicom games, and I think on occasion he'll play TurboGrafx 16 or PC Engine games, but it's mostly Nintendo, mostly mostly Nintendo related games. He'll play a Sega Master System game here and there, but the game on the DS is based off of that game of playing retro games, and this is probably one of the coolest things to come out of that whole franchise. Because Retro Game Challenge is like unlike any other game that you've ever played. It has you as the player traveling back in time and becoming a younger version of yourself, meeting Arino as a Arino son as a younger version of himself, and the older version of himself as like this big ominous game head, game master who challenges you to complete. Um, challenges in these fake retro games. So they are retro style games. They're eight bit games, but they're not actual games that it, that have ever existed. They're based off of games you know, like for one of the games called um, Cosmogate, which is based off of um, uh, Galaga. If you've played Galaga before. Um, a long time ago yeah so it's based off of that Uh, they have one that's kind of a hybrid between it's an action game called haggle man it's not like mega man because you don't have the 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 robot masters and stuff like that but it is uh but you are a robot ninja from you know from the sengoku period and you have to save this princess and yada 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 and there's Another game that's which, which is a top-down racing game. You have an RPG. I haven't gotten to that part yet, but you have an RPG, which is a full-blown mini RPG, which you could beat in a couple of hours. But they have packed in all those 
games and you have all these challenges that you get and it's really fun to see that and it's a complete experience because not only that you actually have uh one of the features of the game is also that um because you have challenges to beat and because you're in the 80s again you also have that exact experience of being a kid in the 80s which also means game magazines that have tips and tricks letters from fans and they actually used pictures of people from the game industry specifically from the journalistic side so there are i mean this game came out a long time ago so the the pictures of are of these people when they were young but for example um uh dan shu uh from from uh from from one up uh is in there uh, uh john riccardi has his picture in there um a bunch of people. I think I think Mark McDonald was in there as well, but I'm not 100% sure. But they had a bunch of people from back then as as one as writers for this fake game magazine that they made up. And it's just it it brings you back to that nostalgic flavor, which is really crazy and really fun. So, <laughs> uh, well, I can see your face super excited, so that's good to hear. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I, nice. I, I mean, when I, I'll, I'll, I'll also keep up with that one. And since it's on the DS, I can take it on the go and play that. So um, I'll keep you guys posted when I finally finish that game again because it, it, it's a really fun experience. I beat it before a long time ago, and I'm going through it again. So, yeah, I'll let you guys know. And the last game that I played, and I'm going to talk a bit, but I'm just going to tack on it really quickly again, was is Tetris 99, and not for any specific reasons. But this past weekend, they had their second official um, tournament, which is called the Tetris 99 uh, Maximus Cup 2. Uh, about a month ago, they had the first uh, Maximus Cup, where in if you won, if you got first place in uh, in any match. You were uh, eligible to win 999 gold points, which roughly translates to about 9 euros and 99 cents uh, in your eShop, which is cool. And the first 99, sorry, the first 999 people to win in Europe or in the US or whatever your region you are playing in, they're eligible to win that um, as long as you have a bunch of wins which was really difficult. I tried to play it, but I didn't really have time that first time around. Plus, I've never won Tetris 99 before. So, you know, there was no way in heck that that was going to happen. But this time, they changed the rules a bit. This time, it was point-based. So as long as you uh, got 100 points, you would get a Tetris Maximus, and you'd be eligible to win. And as long as you build up points from that point onward, every 100 points earns you another Maximus, and that increases your chance of winning 999 points, as long as you're part of the 999 that were that made the cut. So I got a little over 200 points over the weekend. Not a lot, but eh, who knows? I mean, if I don't win any points, that's fine. If I win any points, that's great too. But for me, it was more about the experience and uh, 
Yeah, people are insane. People keep getting better at Tetris uh, 99. I still have to wrap my hand around the fact that there's a Tetris Battle Royale game, but it sounds really cool when I hear you talk about it. <laughs> it's just maybe that I don't have to, I never was patient enough to play Tetris, I think, or I couldn't really, I was never really good at it. So that, that kind of keeps me off and doesn't kind of motivate me to play it. Oh, neither was I, but I... I, the thing with Tetris 99 is that because of the ease of playing and the easy access to it, it 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 kept encouraging me to get better. And I have gotten better. It's just that so have everybody else. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, I got really, I really got close this weekend. I actually landed in the top 10 again for the first time in a really long time. And I was on fire. The only reason I lost is because I messed up one block because at that point it was going really, really fast and I was messed up one placement. I probably would have ended up higher than seventh place if I didn't mess up that placement. But other than that, it was just, yeah, it was a fun experience. I hope that they do this again. I hope that they change the, they constantly change and tweak the rules to make it a bit more accessible and give people a chance to win i actually hope that they add more functions because there's no practice mode or anything um you know no like just playing tetris and practicing on that before you head into the wild wide world um so or any type of versus mode for that matter so i hope that they add more stuff i hope they do more of these tournaments because it is a good way to get people to con not only to continue playing but to continue to improve themselves and also, um, uh, you know, give incentive of continuing to play. Okay. Yeah. That's all your games, I think, right? Yeah, that's all of it. Already. So mine are kind of, there's maybe one new one in there and two ones I've been playing also for a while. People heard me about. Um, I recently started out playing Formula One 2018. Mm -hmm. I'm still playing that one, but um, I'm you not really playing gotten it. into that, haven't you? Well, the funny thing is, is that I was playing it the other day, and um, so the like the funny thing about Formula One is I'm getting more and more insight into it. I'm also watching the real uh, live races. Is that it's not always about winning. Partially, it's a uh, long-term strategy you need to have or it's also some there's also some politics involved for example when you start a career you can say i want to be with the best team you can pick ferrari or mercedes mm. um i said you know what i mean just start in a low team and work my way up to the best team because yeah otherwise there's no challenge in it mm. at least that's what i thought <laughs> <laughs> so i'm a driver at alfa romeo and for them, it's not about winning the, the the championship. For them, it's about consistency. For them, it's about keep locking in one position and focusing on one position. So they're like, okay, we want to go for, for example, sixth position in the overall championship. We don't want to get the first position because they know they don't have the money. They don't have the engineering. So why try to compete for the first spot if they are outgunned every time? Are you saying that the teams have personalities? Kinda, yeah. Really? Yeah. Huh. Wait, yeah, is, so for example, is it modeled after like the actual teams' is philosophies? Yeah, so it's at least it's 
it has the the licensing and all in place so all the drivers yeah. all the cars all the teams are there um and so there's like every team has a different goal it's not all about we hey we want you to grab the championship different teams have different goals and different teams want to achieve different stuff some teams want more spectacular races because for example one of the parts you get judged on is on either if you're a sportsman or if you're a spectacular driver mm. um and you have rivalries with your team uh, mates you have standings with other teams which is necessary to see if you can maybe get to another team so if you the more you get noticed the bigger the chances you might get offered a spot on a different team mm. um there's a there's a friend of mine who plays the game and uh he also i play it with a controller he uses a real professional uh steering wheel and he says you should really play it with a steering wheel it just feels so much better and he also gave me some more insights saying like hey you can you can do so much with the game. You can earn experience points. You can put those points in development of parts, and you can tweak those parts. And there's so much stuff which you can do with the game. Um, and I'm trying to discover more about the game. The part that frustrates me is that, for example, um, I was playing a race the other day, and um, I was uh, I uh, hit the pits, and then I dropped a few positions, and then I got back to the old position. I was on position nine or something like that. And then in the last lap, another car crashes into me. And then I get penalized with 20 seconds because apparently I caused the crash, whereas I didn't cause it. (laughs) And then going from ninth position, I dropped to the 20th position because I get a 20 second penalty on my lap time. Mm. And at that moment, I was, I freaked out so badly to just turn off the PlayStation and started watching a TV show. I was like, (laughs) I can't do this. I'm not going to finish this race. I've been putting so much effort into this race and it's so intense. It's only 14 laps, but it is so intense. It just, you shouldn't have seen me. I almost threw my controller at my TV. I'm like, no, it's an expensive TV. I can't smash it. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's what I did with Red Ma. It was late yeah. and he beat me a couple of times and I was like, yeah, I'm going to go to bed. Yeah, but you know, that's cool because um, it's something different than an action adventure or an RPG or a shooter. Because I, I kind of like this, you know, it, it challenges me in different ways and it, you know, with with race games such as I've I've played Gran Turismo in the past, it's always about you know you need to come in first, you need to grab the first position because then you get all the benefits. And here it's it's not about becoming the first. Here it's about looking long term and thinking about a strategy and thinking up with okay, what would a plan like? What do I want to achieve instead of saying, oh, I'm gonna try to beat the Ferrari. I don't care if my car is slower. I'm gonna do this. You know. I mean, I'm assuming that's because you know actual Formula One racing is seasonal based. Much like any sports, any proper sports game is seasonal based. It's not about, well, any proper proper sports game. It wouldn't necessarily about winning every match. It's about consistently performing well enough to advance. Yeah. So. Yeah. So I'm yeah really looking forward. I'm looking forward to playing it some more if I don't freak out. <laughs> um, I've also been playing a few matches of Battlefield, Firestorm, of course. How's that um, been going? Uh, is is this is the matching time still like on point? No, no, no. It it went from eleven seconds or something what I said mm. uh, up to one minute thirty seconds. Whoa! That, yeah, so that, either people good. are starting to drop out and say, "Hey, this isn't something for me," or 
there are less servers available. I don't know. Um, the thing that bugs me about DICE is that they have some really good game modes for Battlefield. And then what they've been doing with this Battlefield is they've been making it limited uh, time modes. So, for example, Duos is in there for Battlefield, for uh, Firestorm. Mm -hmm. It's a limited time mode. So it's only available for a few days and then they take it out. And they did this a couple of months ago with Squad Conquest, which was 8 versus 8 Conquest, which was really nice. Mm -hmm. It was also a timed game mode. They took it out. And I understand from one point that they kind of want to experiment with it and see if people like it or maybe create like a demand for a mode. But if a mode works, why just not leave in it? Like, well, kind of like a, like a duos mode is like a basic fundamental stuff you should have in your Battle Royale game. Yeah. I mean, that should be a standard thing. I mean, I get why they're doing it. Fortnite does it too with certain modes, but the standard modes are the standard mode, you know? Yeah. Which and is... And duos is a standard mode, in my, in, in my opinion. Yeah. I mean, you should have single player, duos, and squads. Those three should be, like, your cornerstone of your battle, battle royale games, right? Yeah. And yeah. then you do the other stuff. Then you do the weird experimental stuff every couple of weeks to see what sticks and what doesn't and see if you're going to bring it back on a regular basis or not. Yeah. So that is kind of weird that something like duos or squads is not a, it's not standard. Yeah, I don't know what's happening. So we're just going to have to wait and see. I mean, it's still early, right? Yeah, it's only been out for like a month or so. Not even a month, only three weeks or something like that. Yeah. Yeah, and so the last game I've been playing is because we've talked about uh, RTS games in our last episode. Mm -hmm. is uh, a game called Battlestar Galactica Deadlock. Uh, and it's based on the TV series Battlestar Galactica. Which one? Um, the original I, one or is it based on like the new, the, 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 the more I, recent one that came out? I like think it's... I think it's set in the same universe, but that doesn't have a specific time. And if it was to be a specific time, I think it's the first one, the original one. Okay. It's um, It takes place during the first Cylon War. And if people know Battlestar Galactica, they'll know what I'm talking about. If they haven't seen Battlestar Galactica, it'll be just like I'm talking Chinese, um, which I can't do. Um, so you play as... Uh, as a commander and it's a real-time turn-based strategy game mm. so it's kind of a, uh, like a rome total war-esque game so you have uh, the planets that you can manage and you can defend the planets and the cylons can turn up with their fleets and start attacking planets and then you have to keep the, the 12 colonies happy and they can defect or they can be invaded and then you have the battles themselves and the battles are turn-based so you have your different kind of ships you have the the battle stars which are the really big ships which are really powerful but they're really slow and then you have for example raiders or smaller vipers which are like your small squads that can fight against other jets mm. um you can develop new ships you can develop new parts you can set up fleet so it's really like if you really like the Battlestar galactica franchise it's one of those games that it's a game that you'll love um i personally like it because the, there's also some depth to the combat such as that you can only travel a certain distance during each turn and you have to think ahead because even if you you can for example go in a, in any direction but you also have elevation and you need yeah. the elevation because the ships have armor plating on all sides so 
if you want, for example, get on top of a ship, they have weaker plating on top, so you can do more damage. But you also have to uh, look out that you don't have your ships crash into one another or in other ships because that damages the ships as well or blows them up. I've had these instances in which I planned out my move wrong and then two of my ships just collided and I lost two ships in the process. So, yeah, if you're into turn-based strategy games, this is a fun game. It's available on Steam. The developers have been supporting it with a lot of DLC and updates, so it's really good. Okay, cool. Yeah. Awesome. And that's it, basically. <laughs> All right, cool. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, pretty short segment for right now. That's great. Um, so, yeah, let's move on to the last segment of this episode, which is our hidden gems. Stick around. We'll be right back after this. Yeah. All right, welcome back to the final segment of this episode, the hidden gems, which is personally one of my favorite uh, segments of this uh, of the episodes that we do. Um, Sean Templar, you have a hidden gem for us this week. Yes, I do. Um, my uh, or our. Uh nostalgic talk from the last time got me to uh want to play more strategy games and uh nice. i found I, lo I looked in my collection and uh, i found a game called the lord of the rings the battle for middle earth uh in there and i don't know if you're familiar with the game i have heard of it but i've never played it okay so quickly the lord of the rings the battle for middle earth uh, this is part one. There are two parts, part one and part two. The part one is based on the movies, the trilogy. Mm -hmm. So it follows the story of the movies partly. Uh, and the cool part is it's based around a what if scenario. So, for example, uh, Boromir dies in the Mines of Moria in this yeah. game. He does not. Yeah. Um, or, sorry, Boromir dies in uh, at the end. Uh, Gandalf dies in the Mines of Moria, and in this game, he doesn't. So yeah. you get to have him in Lorien and in other parts where he actually has never been to. Yeah. Um, so that's pretty cool. And then what, what basically the game works, it has a huge map, and then on that map, you have areas you can go to, and when you go to those areas for battle, you get certain points or um, advantages. So, for example, there are certain points you need to increase the size of your army. There are certain um, resource amplifiers you can get by participating in certain battles, and you can get experience points, which you can use to unlock skills for certain heroes, such as turning Gandalf the Grey into Gandalf the White, or giving Aragorn and Anduril the Flame of the West, his, his uh, sword, which was forged from uh, Narsil. I'm geeking out so hard right now. <laughs> oh, God. That's okay. Uh, That's what this segment is all about. Yeah, so... Um, and then it, when you you have so these different battles, and some battles are battles that take place in the movies, and some are just, like, based around it. And then um, you have all the heroes, and you get to build your bases. The bases are built in specific places, so you have specific slots. So you also have to think about, okay, what kind of buildings do I want in this base? So you can't just build anywhere where you want, like in Red Alert. And then you can also upgrade your units and give them uh, better armor or flaming arrows or give them a rank upgrade. Um, and the, f the cool part is, is, for example, the Battle of uh, Helm's Deep is in there, the Battle of Minas Tirith is in there. So they really nailed those parts in which you have to defend against the huge Uruk army at Battle of Helm's Deep. 
and then you get the elves suddenly coming to help you and then you get to upgrade them and build more elves so back at, at the, in the in the day when the game originally came out i was super pumped like yeah let's do this Wah! and for the time the game had some pretty innovative mechanics such as a unit morale mechanic in which um, for example, if you had a experienced unit, they would taunt the enemy, try to bait the enemy into coming at them. And when okay. they were a lower ranked enemy, they would, if for example, a cave troll were to run at them, they would get scared and freak out, try to run away, or they wouldn't <laughs> really be as powerful as they should be. And the game also had a mechanic in which, for example, cavalry could run over infantry. So I would build this huge army of Rohirrim riders and just charge them into enemy lines and it would just smash all those infantries over. Um, but for example, the, the the orcs and the uruks would have more units per uh, battalion, for example. Yeah. And then the the elves or the, or the armies of men would have smaller uh, unit counts, but it would be stronger. So that was how the way the game would balance certain mechanics. And then, for example, if you got uh, ranked in with a hero, they would get these sort of kind of ultimate abilities. I know that Gandalf had one that he would just, yeah, I compared to Nuke, he would just summon his inner strength and energy and he would just do this massive blast. And if it was, if there were a lot of units around him, he would just kill everybody in one go. <laughs> uh, it was really cool. Um, I really played a lot of multiplayer with that against some friends. Oh my God, we had so much fun. <laughs> um, a couple of years later, EA released the second part of the game, which was more, they, they locked down the licensing for the, for the books as well. So mm -hmm. the second game was more about centered around stuff from the Hobbit and stuff from the books. So for example, in the first one, you only had the armies of Mordor and Isengard, and then it would be Gondor and Rohan. And in the second game, you would have the the dwarves and the elves and the, the Haradrim. So you would have more factions and those factions would have more units. And this time around, you could also be built freely instead of on specific plots. And you could build huge walls and upgrade your castles. It was, was just kind of the same game, but more. And that kind of made it fun as well you would have these massive spiders Ugh, i hate spiders <laughs> uh yeah so it was yeah. a really fun game and you know they don't make strategy games anymore they don't make a lot of strategy games anymore and i would really think it'd be cool if warner brothers like this. yeah what about warner brothers has the license for lord of the rings now what Did kind they of hope still that have they the game license um i believe that all the license all the licensing reverted back and since uh, Warner Brothers owns New Line Cinema and stuff like that, I believe they bought the license for the games or for the books and the movies so it can use it in the games. And so far, they've only done three games, the Shadow of the Mo of Mordor franchise and uh, Guardians of Middle-Earth, which is kind of like a MOBA, which was back on PS3 and Xbox 360. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah, that's kind of my hidden gem, I think. Oh, awesome. <laughs> yeah. Well, my hidden gem is probably one that people wouldn't expect, but at the same time might. But I honestly don't think that people would. Um, mine is actually Grand Theft Auto Chinatown Wars for the DS. Which what? was a well, it was a big deal back in the day because it was it was around the time that the Wii was at its height and the DS was riding really strong. Um and 
people keep saying, yeah, I mean, it's great that all these systems are selling well, but where are the mature titles in quotes for, for the hardcore in quotes gamers. And people kept asking, um, Rockstar if they would ever put out anything uh, for a for Nintendo system and they said well yeah I mean the Wii selling well and well and the DS is selling well we might put out something specifically for one of those systems and they ended up putting out Chinatown Wars which back when it came out was a big deal I mean they even had a spot on Nintendo's press conference during E3 when they announced this game and this game is the most out there GTA you can possibly play. Like, even more so than the other ones. I mean, I know that you... I Did San Andreas have drug dealing in, in that? Oh, it's been remember. so long and I have a really bad history with San Andreas. Um, I know there was a gang war in there. I, mean, I played it, but I don't remember if that had drug dealing in that. But, yeah, this game has drug dealing in it. It, it takes place in Liberty City. Um, so if you're familiar with Liberty City, then you're familiar with the fact that it's based off of uh, New York. Um, the only difference is, is unlike Unreal, uh, Unreal unlike GTA 4, which is based off all the major islands of New York City, only two of the three major islands are featured in Chinatown Wars, mostly because of memory limitations for the ds but even then it's a pretty big city to roam through anyways so having just two or the three islands it doesn't really matter um and yeah as i said before it is it is a gta where the one of the things that you do to make money is deal in different kinds of drugs which is crazy for especially for a game that came out on a nintendo system I was about um, to say that because Nintendo's all about the kids friendly stuff. Exactly. Now we're encouraging kids to deal drugs. Ha <laughs> ha. And it's not like it's not like they are made up drugs. These are actual drugs that exist. You can you can buy and sell coke, you can buy and sell heroin, you can buy and sell weed, you can buy and sell other there are other drugs like stuff like that I was like, wait, what? And you know what the worst part is? That's the part that I enjoyed the most. You because enjoyed game, selling drugs? <laughs> <laughs> which is so bad. To, I don't know. I'm so morally like conflicted in saying that. Oh, but no. I had so much fun playing it because it the the you would assume like it's on the DS, so it's not going to be a 3D um, GTA. This game harkens back to the old 2D roots that it had. Uh, you know, back in the original GTA 1 and GTA London. So it's all top-down, and the, converse, the the characters in there were interesting. You're playing this uh, Chinese guy who came to Liberty City to get away from uh, get away from his family's problems with dealing with the triad and all that stuff, only to be brought back into it because if I'm not mistaken, someone like someone related to him got killed and he's trying to find the killers who did it. And that's what sets off all the events in the game. 
I don't remember why you start dealing in drugs, but the the real messed up part is selling drugs gets you a lot of money. And it's like, also it, so in real life. But but not in the way that you think it, it is because I mean, yeah, it is like that in real life, but it is the reason why it's fun and I'd say that it's morally conflicting is not because you're selling drugs. But you're selling drugs like you're selling stock at a stock market. No, I am not even kidding. Because you have, because you know how the DS works, right? You have the dual screens. You have the map on the bottom, and then your uh, the map at the top, and the items and stuff like that at the bottom. So when you're riding along, as long as you're not in a mission, you can um, you can go around. You have your drugs and you're look and you're selling them to people on the corner or whatever. You buy them, but you can also see the street value of whatever drugs that you have currently. If they went up, if they went down, what part of the city you can sell the drugs for a better price, and what part of the city you can buy the drugs that you want to sell for cheap, and basically you're it's it is a very basic way of strangely enough teaching you how to trade in stocks and so you're an excellent stockbroker right now no 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 no. (laughs) oh no i sucked at that game but i but i learned a lot at least i learned a lot because i didn't know anything about trading stock before i played that game so i learned all the basics at least from that and that that kind of blows my mind i mean it's a kind of unfortunate that it has to be in the wrapper of selling drugs but yeah it is a surprisingly fun way to learn how to work basic stock markets um the gameplay itself is also fun you know it's top down so the gory details are not that gory but the writing is you know it's rock star writing so the writing is on point and um i think I think it took place either before or I think it took place before GTA 4. So technically it's a prequel, but I'm not 100% sure on that. I'll have to check that one time. But suffice to say, I had a ton of fun playing that game back in the day. And I honestly wouldn't mind playing it again, mostly for that. But yeah. But uh, yeah, um, yeah, that was a that yeah that was a really fun game to play. And if you have a DS and you're able to grab a copy of that game, go right ahead. It's a total recommend. You will not be disappointed. Plus, it's a very easy pick up and play style game. So, I think it's also available on other platforms because I can remember it. I believe it's also available on PlayStation. It is. I think oh, I right. saw it yeah. in a PlayStation Store yeah. once. Yeah, you're right. Like I think, I think a year or so after it came out on DS, it came out on PSP. Yeah, but it's also available for like consoles. I don't think that came out. On- let me just double check that because I can't remember. I, I, at least let me put it this way: I saw it in the PlayStation Store. Oh, yeah, it's PSP, mobile devices, and DS. Yeah. See. Yeah. yeah PSP. Yeah, I I think the PSP version was an enhanced version, whatever that means. But yeah, it's better yeah. than DS version. No, uh, no, 
now probably because it had a little bit more content or whatever but yeah i mean for a 2d top-down game it was it was a really it was a really fun throwback to that style of gta nice you sound so emotional when you say that no i don't <laughs> it was but, really uh, a throwback instead of GTA. <laughs> That's literally how it sounds. <laughs> no, I do not. It's okay to get emotional. I mean, come <laughs> on. You don't get mature games on Nintendo platforms that much. I mean, look, this game taught you how to deal drugs and play and use stocks. I mean, come on. If that's not educational, I don't know what is. <laughs> Maybe people should just embrace the fact that, you know, sometimes these games can also have a positive effect on you. Yeah, true. I mean, if they did, we would have less of a conversation about whatever latest shooting that happens in the U.S. But yeah, I mean, yeah, once again, total recommend. So yeah, wow. Okay. Um, do you have anything else to add? Uh, no, I'm all good, I think. Uh, yeah, I think I got everything off my chest. Yeah, same here. Cool. Yeah. yeah. A bit of a short segment this week, but that's okay. Um, Thank you guys for listening uh, to this uh, episode. Uh, as always, you can find us online on any podcast app that is available to you or that you prefer. We're on Anchor. We uh, upload through Anchor. Uh, we're on Apple Podcasts. We're on Spotify, Google uh, Google Podcast, Overcast. Overcast for that one person that listens on Overcast. Loyal fan. We appreciate it. Thank you. Um, you can always hit us up on our Twitter, which is at game underscore rivals underscore. You can hit me up at at Maximilian on Twitter. Uh, you can send us an email to us for feedback at gamerivalsfeedback at gmail.com. Uh, please leave five-star reviews where possible. Uh, let us know that you enjoyed the, this episode uh, wherever possible. Let your friends know about us. Spread the word. Um, leave a voice message if you're using uh, Anchor. We'd love to hear feedback from you guys through Anchor. Uh, leave a voice message, leave a question or a comment. And yeah, that's it. Well, I have two more things. Okay, sure. The first, it's okay if you don't leave us a review as long as you tell someone else about our podcast so we can have more fans. That's always appreciated. And the second, we're... we're about to reach 300 we're almost close to 300 listens which is amazing because i can remember like what two or three weeks ago we had 150 yeah so we're growing super fast which is super cool so i want to thank everybody from the bottom of my heart and i think from your heart as well even though yeah. it's a kid-friendly nintendo heart thank you everybody <laughs> so much for the support for the feedback for listening to us uh, for letting us know that, for example, the Stadia episode was a popular one. The Firestorm episode yeah. was a popular one. Um, thank you all so much. As long as people will keep listening, I think we will keep making this stuff, right? Yes, definitely. Awesome. And on that note, thank you all for listening. And we'll catch you next time. Bye. Bye.